Well, good morning, New City. It's a privilege to be with y'all. My name is Hardy Reynolds. I'm a campus minister at UCF, uh, do college ministry there. Uh, We are the uh, PCA uh, campus ministry. And New City is a church that I'm very grateful for. Y'all partner with our ministry. And so uh, while uh, obviously um, the circumstances are not how I'd like to be here, it still is an honor and a privilege to preach God's word uh, to you this morning. We will be in the last two chapters of uh, the Bible uh, for this morning. Uh, you can turn there. It's the last two chapters of Revelation, uh, chapters 21 and 22. But for your consideration to set up this passage um, and kind of where we are this morning, uh, I'll tell you, I've only been punched in the face one time, uh, but I got my money's worth. Um, it was in a high school boxing match in my buddy's front yard. And he caught me with a full force uppercut to the left temple. And some unknown amount of moments later, I started to come out of a black fog. I started to see stars. And I had another high school buddy up in my face reminding me what I was doing and where I was. And now, I imagine many of you this morning might be feeling uh, something similar. Uh, You might be feeling disoriented, feeling like you're coming out of a black fog, feeling like you are confused and hurt, seeing stars. Um, Maybe you're understandably angry. And I think when we experience moments like that in life, we need to be reoriented. What is our goal? Where are we headed? And so that's why we're going to be looking at what is the ultimate hope and destiny for our Christian life in uh, what we see in the last two chapters of Revelation, chapters um, 21 and 22. And as a way to set up this text, um, Revelation is not how a lot of people primarily try and read it as a hidden code to, to crack the details of the end time. Uh, but overall, or maybe overarching, Revelation, its purpose is to do just that to reveal something, to make it clear. And so when you read Revelation with that question of what here is clear, you come away with a obvious um, conclusion. And that conclusion is this, Jesus wins. He wins. Or maybe said another way, but just as importantly, believers live happily ever after with their God. That is the hope. And now when I say believers, I don't mean the folks in this room that have it all together or those who adhere to some impressive form of conduct. What, what I say, when I say believers and when, when scripture refers to believers, we are talking to people about people that have called out to Jesus, that continually call out to him for help in ways that only he can. That's what we mean and uh, what we mean when we say believers. John here in the book of Revelation describes believers as the thirsty. Uh, Those that he invites when he says, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. These are those that inherit the new city. And what is this new city like? Well, we see in this passage in a moment, we'll read the new city is physical, the new city is communal, and the new city is worshipful. Those are the three things we're going to see. So hear God's word now. It deserves our full attention and obedience. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would shine your light on our hearts, that your word might bear your fruit. This morning, Father, would you let laughter flow freely where your joy is needed? Uh, Would you let tears flow freely where your healing is needed? Uh, There are so many in here uh, that I ask for your comfort where there is hurt. Would you encourage the discouraged? Would you convict the disobedient? Would you lead those that are doubting to trust? And would you do all of this by the power and clarity of your gospel, we pray. Amen. Well, the last uh, several weeks, um, I had one of the the worst sinus infections I've ever had. I had headaches uh, all the time, and um, I'm much better now. But when I'm that out of it, um, about the only thing that I can do uh, painlessly is watch romantic comedies until I fall asleep. Um, That's about the only thing I can do. And... One of the classic romantic comedy films is Sleepless in Seattle. It's a classic 90s film starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And it's about this father-son who lose their wife and mother. And as an idea for them to heal, they live in Chicago. They decide they're going to move to Seattle. 
But the son, who's eight-year-olds, he witnesses that his father is not doing so well uh, healing. And so he decides that he's going to call in to a radio station where a psychologist will hear people's problems and then try and solve them. And so he um, gets his dad on the phone, and at some point in the conversation, the psychologist asked Tom Hanks' character, what was so special about your wife? And Tom Hanks' character replies, well, how long is your radio program? And he goes on to say, I guess it was a million little things that when you added them up, I knew we were supposed to be together. And I knew from the moment I touched her, I was taking her hand, helping her out of a cab. It was like coming home, only to no home that I had ever known. And while that's a great romantic comedy line, one of the reasons why I think it's so great is it captures a longing that runs through every single one of our hearts. This idea for a home, yet a home that we've never truly known. In English, we really don't even have a word to capture this meaning. Uh, In German, uh, they have a word that's called Zainzucht. And Zainzucht means uh, the sickness of a painful craving. Uh, It's this idea that's sometimes translated as nostalgia, but it's not nostalgia as something we've ever experienced. It's, It's nostalgia for the unknown something. An example of that would be a craving for an untasted food, a longing to visit a country you've never been to, It's this longing for a home we've never had. And this idea was actually crucial in C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian writer, in his conversion to Christianity. And he believed that longing ran through each and every one of our hearts. And what the last two chapters of Revelation that we just read uh, portions of, what it's doing is it's holding out to us that this new city with life with God is the fulfillment of that experience, of Zainzuk, our longing for a home that we've never known. Revelation 21 and 22 is holding that out and saying this home is that fulfillment for that longing. And what's this new home like? Well, I've said we're going to see that it's physical, it's communal, and finally it's worshipful. And so first, it's, it's physical. Uh, there's been a lot of different beliefs on what the eternal life looks like. Um, a lot that don't agree with the, um, the vision that John portrays here. Uh, the picture Apostle John uh, gives is different from those who would hold different forms of Islam that would believe that it's some paradise where a heroic man might actually get women to serve him in the eternal life. It's different than Buddhism that seeks to um, just end suffering altogether, to cease to exist. Uh, Those who believe in Hinduism uh, teach that it's a continuous cycle of rebirth through the idea of of karma. And so through karma, you either move up or down the, the social ladder. And so if you're good, you might be reborn as a king or queen. Uh, and if you do, do wrong or live a bad life, you might be reborn as a dog or a roach or something. Mormonism would believe that if you're good, uh, you might actually be able to rule your own planet, come back as um, a mini-god, as it were. But then you also have even just our kind of pop culture views of what eternal life looks like. That eternal life is um, this picture of heaven where you dress in white, you float around, and you, you learn to play the harp. And what John does here is he holds out a much better picture. He holds out that 
This is an internal life that is characterized, one, by a physical reality. That it is a physical life. It's different than this physical life we live now, but it's not wholly different. The first evidence we see of this new physical life is in the resurrected body of our Savior, Jesus. At first, Jesus' disciples don't even recognize him in his resurrected body until he reveals himself. And so there's mystery here. There's mystery to what this eternal life is going to be like. But there is similarities. We will recognize our loved ones. They won't just be disembodied um, presences, but we will be able to recognize our loved ones as the disciples were able to recognize and see their loved one, Jesus. And it is different, and yet it's similar. Qualitatively, this new physical life that God is bringing to us is different, but there will be similarities. It's not completely unlike um, my years playing high school football. I played all four years, and uh, freshman Hardy uh, was much different than senior Hardy. Freshman Hardy was 5'1", was incredibly slow, was still carrying all of his baby fat, and was known um, not so affectionately as Hardy Lardy. Um, Senior Hardy was my height now, um, much faster, though never fast, um, and stronger than I will likely ever be again. And though both of those bodies were my body, they were qualitatively different. And what what we see held out in Scripture is that this new city that we are going to is a physical reality. But the life that we live in this new city is qualitatively different than the one that we live now. Paul does in his letter to 1 Corinthians make clear what is some facets to this physical uh, new life that we will live. And one thing that he wants this church in Corinth to understand is that these new bodies, this new reality, we will be imperishable. And what he goes on to say is um, these bodies will not wear out. They will not be susceptible to sickness or disease. These bodies will be imperishable. But not only that, they will be forever protected from any enemies, any threats. We read in our passage that it talked about this eternal city, um, this, this eternal life taking place in the city that has gates. But these gates to this city are never closed In other words, there is no enemy, there is no threat in this new city that could ever touch you. You are imperishable in this new life. And Paul goes on in the letter to uh, the Corinthians that this body is also going to be raised, he says, in glory. And he contrasts that with um, being uh, in dishonor. And it's this idea that's meant to convey beauty and attractiveness. There's something about this new city that will be characterized by beauty, and all of us as citizens, as believers, will be a part of this beautiful world that he is securing for us. He goes on to say that we will also be raised in power, and he contrasts that with the weakness that we experience now in this life. And I don't I don't think he means that you and I will experience an infinite power. Don't think like superhero powers. Um, But think 
more about the strength that we long for to be sufficient to follow God and do all that he asks of us, we will be raised in power and have that strength to fully obey all that God asks and requires of us. In a word, we will be like Jesus. We will be like him, perfected in our ability to love God and love neighbor. That is what is going to most characterize um, our physical reality in the new heavens and new earth. I think this is all really important uh, to answer. What does this future reality have to say about our life now? How we live our life now? Well, Apostle Paul, he concludes um, to the letter in the uh, Corinthians, he concludes this, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, what he's saying is the work of believers from the seemingly mundane activity of uh, doing children's church, of, of volunteering and taking care of the physical needs of those in your community, to showing up in the lives of your neighbors, sharing this good news, sharing the gospel with them, any and all work done for Christ's kingdom is an eternal work with eternal fruits. It will have lasting results. Said another way, your physical presence, your showing up in your neighbor's lives, your, your showing up to, um, to church, to, to new cities activities, your physical presence matters. It can be so easy for us in times of hardship, in times of dis- disappointment, to retreat, to pull away from community. I loved what our brother Jim encouraged y'all, even in Hebrews 10. Don't neglect gathering together. Encourage one another in love and good works. For, for that is what um, our physical presence does for one another. It is an active sign of encouragement that we are a part of a community that we might spur one another on to love and good works. That's one aspect of what that future physical reality says about how we live in our physical lives now. Another aspect is it it tells us this new future city um, has zero sin a part of it. And so how that affects how we live now in this broken and sin-filled world is it means we can face our own sin and other sin in particular ways. First, we can face our own sin by reminding ourselves that Jesus has completely forgiven us. We have complete forgiveness in Christ, and we are citizens of that new city only secured by his work and his work alone. And so what that means is that we can be reminded that we are forgiven when we face trials and temptations, we can ask him for strength in the present to flee from sin. We can ask him for, for power to resist temptation. And we can be reminded that he holds out a blessed hope and promise that our future is one where we will not only not be able to sin, we will not even want to. That is the destiny that he has secured for us and that he is holding out as an offer of promised hope for all those who follow him. It also says something about how we can face the reality of others' sins, the sins of our neighbors, and how it affects our life today in broken relationships is it reminds us because we've been forgiven, we can forgive. We can move towards others in forgiveness. And we, 
we forgive out of that knowledge that we have been fully and finally forgiven in Christ. And so therefore, we can move towards others in community with that forgiveness. And to be clear, when, when Scripture talks about forgiveness that we're called to, as we've been forgiven in Christ, it's not saying that it's a forgive and forget, that we don't treat sin um, as it has consequences, or that sin uh, can just be taken lightly as if it's no big deal. But what I think it means is when we are faced with other sins is we can entrust them, the situation, into God's care, who calls himself God who is just. And it's also a refusal. It's a refusal on the party that has been sinned against to become the judge and those who might take vengeance. It's an entrusting into a God's hands who has named himself as a God who is just, trusting that he will work it out in the end. And we do that over and over and over and over again. So often forgiveness um, is not a snapshot or a picture. It's more like a motion picture. And that process of over and over again entrusting that person, entrusting the situation into God's care is painful. It takes time, it takes tears, but we are able to do it because of who God is and what he's done for us, the promises that he's held out to us. This future reality, this new city that scripture says we are citizens of affects how we live now in the present. It's our physical home that we are headed to and it affects how we now live in community. And that's what we've already been talking about a little bit, what we see next, is this, this physical reality that we are, are headed to, it's a communal reality. We see this in a number of places in Revelations 21 and 22. But most obviously, it's a city. There's people everywhere. Um, and you think potentially that you've experienced diversity um, now in this life, but it does not compare to the diversity of this new city. It says that there are people from all nations, every tribe, tongue, they are present in this city. And maybe you have received glimpses, glimpses of this in this life, where you have seen this perfect, unhindered relationship of this diverse group of people all worshiping uh, God in love. That's the reality we're headed to. And maybe you've experienced glimpses of that even in this life. One of the ways that I got to experience a glimpse of this glorious hope, I was given an opportunity to serve at an international uh, justice mission retreat for their whole staff, IJM. Uh, IJM, it has over 1,000 employees in 23 different countries around the globe, and all of them are working in some capacity um, to protect the poorest and the most vulnerable in this world from violence and injustice. It's been, it's been said that IJM is like the FBI, but with morning devotionals. And so that's a little bit of the work that they do. And I had the privilege of sitting with a lawyer from Taiwan whose job was to rescue children out of, uh, out of trafficking. I had the opportunity to sit with a, a woman in Africa whose job it was to rescue enslaved boys from fishing ships. And on the, the night that they all gathered... Some, some generous donor had thought because of all the dangers, all the, um, the grief and brokenness that these employees experience, 
that it would be a gift to gather all of these people from around the world for a week of worship, of encouragement, and rest. And on the first night, we sang a song called He is Worthy by Andrew Peterson. And the verse was sung in four different languages in this service. And it, and it goes like this. Do you feel the world is broken? And then over a thousand voices in those four different languages respond, we do. And it goes on and says, do you feel the shadows deepen? And again, a thousand voices in response sing out, we do. And the song goes on and says, but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. This is the vision of the new city, the city that we are citizens of, that we are headed, to, uh, headed towards. Everything made new. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. In the presence of all the inhabitants of that city are whole. They're made new. Nothing unclean, nothing accursed will be in the city, but only whole, healthy, fully alive citizens, never divided in their ability to love. It is perfect community. We long for that community. We long for those types of relationships. Yet if we're honest with ourselves, we don't even know what that looks like. Because every relationship we experience has taught us to doubt that, that there is an ability to have perfect love. Because right now, so often, even our best relationships are characterized by some form of brokenness. Whether it be regret, whether it be shame, whether it be hiding, whether it be gossip, whether it be manipulation, you fill in the blank. What are those things that characterize your relationships now? And we don't know the experience or really think that we can have those perfect relationships because everything has told us otherwise. I think good news that our destiny is this perfect city is it frees us up to grieve. It frees us up to admit we're not home yet. Our relationships are characterized by brokenness. There will be pain, and that is worthy of grief to be able to name it, to be able to say this is not how it should be. And yet we grieve as those with hope, knowing that we are headed to a city where there will be no more grief. In addition to being able to grieve the brokenness of our relationship, it also, it also frees us to take ownership of how we contribute to that brokenness, to name the ways in which we have failed to love in the present, to know that every person that you and I interact with, they were created to be, uh, to be loved perfectly. And we are going to fail at that call. And so what that does, I think, is it frees us up to repent quickly it frees us up to repent thoroughly without defensiveness, uh, to be able to name the ways that we have failed in love, to name the ways that we've participated in gossip and manipulation in all the different ways that we experience relational brokenness, to name those quickly and to also hope for this full restoration of all things, that we will have a place where we experience perfect whole community. That is our destiny. But again, our experience, it's so contrary to that. It's so contrary to that future that scripture holds out that we wonder what's going to convince our hearts. What's going to actually convince our hearts that that is our reality? 
And it's our third and final point. It's nothing less than the face of God. It's nothing less than God's presence with us. And so what we see in this new city is that it is worshipful. The new city is worshipful because God is there. He is there. Verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Or verse 22, I saw no temple in the new city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. It goes on in chapter 22, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The healing that characterizes this new city flows from the presence of God. It is his face, his very presence that will accomplish this. You and I long for a look, a look that is so powerful, so healing, so welcoming that we search for it everywhere. But what Revelation holds out is it can be found only in the face of God. We long to be seen in a way that our insecurities, our inadequacies, our failures, our sins just melt away. And we're left with unhindered love, unhindered delight and acceptance. And scripture is consistent in saying that is only found in the face of Jesus Christ. It can only be found there. And yet we look for it in so many different places. There's a documentary on a singer-songwriter named Louis Capaldi. And it follows his rise to fame over the last couple of years and his ongoing struggle with mental health and struggle with the imposter syndrome. Louis Capaldi, uh, if you don't know, uh, he has had songs uh, streamed over billions of times. Uh, he had the best-selling album in 2019, uh, and he had one of his songs uh, become the longest-running top 10 uh, British song. And yet, he still thinks that he is not a good songwriter. And he was telling this to one of his friends, uh, Ed Sheeran. And they're talking, as celebrities do. They just hang out with one each other, I guess. Um, but Ed Sheeran then goes and he tells another artist, a well-known artist named Elton John. And Elton John feels for Louis Capaldi. And so he actually writes him and basically says, Lewis, I see you, and you have what it takes. You are an incredible songwriter. And in the documentary, you see Capaldi read this, and you see the longing. He wants to believe Elton John's words. But there's a part of him that still struggles. Even a look from the great Elton John to say, you have it, was not enough for his heart. And what is amazing is, this is true for all of our hearts. What's true for Capaldi's heart is true for ours. That only the powerful look of Jesus Christ's face is what is going to bring ultimate healing from our sin, from uh, the ways that we struggle with inadequacy, uh, failure, only Jesus' face. There's an English poet uh, named George Herbert that I think captures this beautifully. He has a poem called The Glance, and it is capturing uh, what it's like for believers to be looked at the first time, to see the glance of Jesus Christ when you first become a Christian, convinced that God looks at you in his grace and delight, but also the final glance where we long to see Jesus' face. Hear this poem, and if you don't share my nerdy love for poetry, bear with me. 
the glance by George Herbert. When first thy sweet and gracious eye vouchsafed even in the midst of youth and night to look upon me who before did lie weltering in sin, I felt a sugared, strange delight passing all cordials made by any art. But do embalm and overrun my heart and take it in. Since that time, many a bitter storm my soul has felt, even able to destroy. Had the malicious and ill-meaning harm his swing and sway, but still thy sweet original joy sprung from thine eye did work within my soul. And surging griefs, when they grew bold, control and got the day. If thy first glance so powerful be, a mirth, but opened and sealed up again, what wonders shall we feel when we shall see thy full-eyed love? When thou shalt look us out of pain, and one aspect of thine spend in delight, more than a thousand suns disperse in light in heaven above. The reality that Herbert is speaking to there is that even now, Christian, even now, brother and sister, you have the look of Christ. You behold him now by faith. You see him by faith. And there are so many things in this life that Herbert names, bitter storms, malice, ill-meaning harm, surging griefs, that when they grow bold, they might make our faith weak, our assurance dim. Yet we must remember that Christ's initial grace to look upon you with delight, that he has looked upon us with his love. And for us to, to look to Christ by faith, to, to behold his look of grace, what that looks like is to look to him in faith, believing that though he was God, he entered the physical world, took on flesh, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but entered into this world. That that though he entered into this broken world, he is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses and lived a life free of sin. And after living that life free of sin, he actually goes to the cross for us. And the one who experienced perfect community for all eternity was actually subjected to the forsakenness of God. He died a God-forsaken death with God the Father turning his face away that we might never have to experience that lack of community with God. And he does that when we behold him by faith as a free offer that you might have that eternal communion with him and with all those who are his for all eternity. That is the promise and the hope that he holds out to you, New City. That that is yours in Christ And what we behold now by faith, he promises that we will have one day by sight. As Herbert describes that moment, what wonders shall we see when we feel your full-eyed love, when you will look us out of pain, that look will melt all pain away. His face and his face alone is our hope, New City. And what it means now for the presence is Your physical presence in this community matters. How you show up, how you serve, how you love matters. The way that you love and repent in this community today is just a foretaste of the love and the restoration and the reconciliation that you will experience in the future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know each and every one of our hearts in this room. You know the longing we have for this home 
this home that can, if we're honest, feel so far off. And we ask by the power of your spirit, would you draw us into your presence that by faith we might experience your healing, that healing that one day we will experience by sight. Would you graciously hear our prayers now until the day that they turn into unhindered praise? Amen.